Welcome to the first episode of the new podcast, He Said, D Shed. D Shed. <laughs> Off to a great start. I'll do it. I'm He. And, <laughs> and I'm D. That's great, actually. <laughs> uh, my name is Ryan. And no, we have to start this over again. I'm not going to edit all of that. Do it cleanly. Okay. Hello and welcome to a new podcast called He Said, D Said. I got it right that time. Uh, I'm He, I'm Ryan, and uh, with me is my lovely wife, D. Yes, I'm D, and I'm really happy to be here with all of you. Um, all, all of me? All of you. <laughs> with you in totality uh, for kicking off this podcast. So what are we going to be doing in this podcast, babe? Well, we've been talking about doing this for a very long time. It seems like actually since um, maybe the earlier days of podcasts, we, we kind of thought, hey, you know, we have really fun discussions. We have really, really great time talking through all of the different things that we like and, you know, following along as the other person gets absorbed into some thing or other. So we... We're going to start this off with an earlier version that was going to be about Battlestar Galactica. And then we kind of looked at each other like, that's a whole lot of show. Yeah, but we should talk about Battlestar Galactica a little bit because it, because it is something we want to focus on at some point for this podcast. But yes, you, you got it. The, the whole sort of reason this podcast exists is because, one, we're vain, right? Yes. Who <laughs> does a podcast <laughs> does not love hearing the sound of their own voice? And two, it's because... We have some really fun patio conversations about books, movies, video games, all things pop culture. All the good stuff. Yeah, and we don't always agree. No, no. Which is cool. Um, you like to say that everything with me comes down to views. I'm obsessed with getting uh, your views yes. on things, which is which is true uh, because I, I think it's great to watch how it um, shows how somebody's mind works. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, how somebody will think about something completely different way than, than I do. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, after all these years together, it's like, okay, well, we don't have to do one thing. I mean, we both love Battlestar Galactica, but really so much more is going on all the time. We don't need to be like a Battlestar Galactica podcast, but that does not mean that we, we will not do it. Yeah, we're going to do it. We will. And and that is definitely my number one favorite show of all time. Is it yours too? Number one favorite. Um, It's up there. Uh, Star Trek might give it a run for its money. Mm, yeah, um, same family though. Ronald, yeah. Ronald D. Moore. So. H- Hannibal might give it a run for oh, its money. Oh man, okay. Yeah, so we're going to have a lot to talk about in this podcast. We've been married for... 12 years? Yeah, I think it's 13 this year it's maybe. 13? I don't know, we'll have to ask my mom. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, from like our very first date, we've been arguing about very lovingly <laughs> the things that we consume and then critiquing each other's perspectives. I so. think some of our first earliest conversations were about um, a mixture of video games mm-hmm. and, and you threatening me that you were going to kick my ass. Which I did. And <laughs> As you know. But not at Mario Kart. Uh, well, whatever. <laughs> if I practice for two weeks, I'll beat you at that too. But you were, you were roundly... Defeated. Well, Smash Brothers, is, Smash Brothers is just, that's your house. Please, every game is my house, honey. <laughs> okay? Okay? Not every place is your Madison Square Garden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which actually brings us to, I think, some of the things we're going to start with today. 
So there's a couple things we want to talk about today. Um, what are we What are we watching right now together? So I think we'll start with the things in this podcast that we're both watching together, and then towards the end we'll do a little grab bag of the things that we're yeah. consuming on our own. So what's the things that we're doing together, and then what are the things that uh, each of us is sort of obsessed with on our own at the moment? Which is literally then, what I just said. But yes. and then well, with the added. <laughs> The added benefit of, you know, it gives the other person a chance to poke in and find out, what's the deal with that? Yeah, yeah, that's fun, because a lot of the things that I've ended up loving were not on my radar, and then your excitement and passion about them, like, got me curious, and I got into them and was like, hey, actually, I really love this, too. Right. Um, That's the plan. So, cool. Okay, what is on the docket for today? What are we talking about? Well, it's it's the most uh, relevant or now thing happening. Um, of course, we're both watching Loki mm-hmm. on Disney Plus, uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, the fantastic character played by Tom Hiddleston that everybody loves got his own spinoff. He's this is like the third spinoff show that's happened now, and he's uh, so fantastic. He's wonderful. Actually, oh. everybody in it is wonderful. Yeah. Um, but we are big MCU fans. We like the Marvel. Yeah. And I like the Marvels. The Marvels, <laughs> all of them. And so, uh, we have been watching this, we, we only just saw episode two today. Yeah, just like a couple yeah. hours ago. So that's one we'll talk about. Um, then we just started our second rewatching of The Last Dance, which is the Bulls documentary. Yeah. Um, which is like really interesting the second time through. I'm picking up on a lot of things I didn't the first time. Well, it's so dense. There's yeah. so much to it. Yeah. Uh, and all the archival footage, we'll get into it, but mm-hmm. all the archival footage, all of the interviews between people that never got to have their say back in the day, yeah. it's 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 a lot to soak in the first mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Cool. And then from a grab bag perspective, um, what are some things that you're consuming at the moment? Well, so we'll get into a little bit of the, you know, the, the first two first, but the, the, the headlines for what I am into right now. Uh, as I have finally started watching The Sopranos. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, you have been doing that a lot. Uh, playing Mass Effect. Mm. And rereading. So those are the things that I'm doing for the first time. And then rereading The Dark Tower again. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Which the, is, the, what, is this your like third time through? Uh, maybe my f- fifth or sixth time through. Wow. <laughs> you are you are a fan. That's That's commitment. Well, I mean, I don't know. I've read the first book like maybe five or six times. I think this is maybe my fourth full time through. Okay. Yeah. Wow. What, what's what are your, what are going to be your grab bag items? Okay, so I'm going to talk about my favorite game that like really took me through the pandemic, mm-hmm. which is Hollow Knight, and I just finished playing. I think this is my third time through. It's a very broad, expansive game. It's almost impossible to play it at 100% completion. Mm-hmm. But that's the mission that I've been on. Um, and it's just a f- freaking amazing game. Like, I love this game so much. I mean, I listen to the soundtrack. All the time? All the time. Like, when I'm at work, when I'm, like, doing some heads-down stuff, I put the soundtrack on, especially, like, the stuff that happens in the Green Path level. Oh, my God. What, what a gorgeous soundtrack it is so anyway i'm going to talk about hollow knight and why i love that game so much and then i think we should talk about revisiting uh rome which is the new vinyl yes it's not new but it's like it's new to us right now and it reminds us of like some really fabulous road trips so we'll talk about rome which is fantastic album yeah we got it we got i could talk about that for days so for sure yeah and then maybe a book or two that 
time reading. So it's going to be pretty packed. Absolutely. Do you、yeah. want to get into Loki first?、Then? Yeah, yeah. What you got? So,、um, well, I just got a notice from、uh, my friend Hunter who told me that his friend is in this most recent episode. Oh, really? Who's、uh, his friend? He's a mustachioed fellow. Oh, who, wow. Who was.、Uh, a, Freaking out while there w a s things going on,、uh, while, while all the timelines were branching in episode two. Uh huh. So,、um, I guess we, we can start with just a little bit of like, you know, we already set the table for what the show is, but Loki's a villain,、uh, anti hero, you know, mischievous scamp fellow,、mm-hmm. and he's wonderful. And watching him interact with the world is wonderful, especially because this is not the movie one who, you know, stole his way into all of our hearts. So,、yeah. this is like, This is still pretty much full on evil Loki. So I, I love getting the chance to watch that, that character traipse around in, a cir- you know, in circumstances that he can't understand, but he's still trying to get the better of. And the one thing that after watching episode one, which is all set up for why this is a different Loki, the thing with episode two is it's off to the races. This is what I really like. It's very much its own thing where you know that you're dealing with a villain. You know, a guy that's out for number one,、mm-hmm. being forced to walk the same path as maybe the character that he became in the movies, and he's not there yet. Yeah. But what I really love is you never, throughout episode two, lose that tension and, and sometimes a little bit of dread because it's a very art, like, artfully designed show.、Mm-hmm. You don't really lose that dread of, like, yeah, but what's this guy gonna do yeah. about yeah. this? Yeah. And maybe, okay, so. The other interesting thing to me, and this is probably just because it's juxtapositioned with the fact that we're watching The Last Dance, but you know how in The Last Dance they talk about Dennis Rodman and how he sort of was this great player, but he just wasn't thriving, like, you know, towards the end of the Pistons era and when he was with the Spurs. And then they brought him onto the Chicago Bulls and he just completely became the best version、right. of himself. He played, fa- I mean, I, so I think. The Avengers and that era in the MCU was actually Loki Spurs. And what I'm hoping is that this show is going to allow us to have enough time with Loki to see all of the things that sort of like bring him into that Bulls universe where he like really thrives and is like playing his best and、that. is focused and really, you know, like respects the players that he's with and the game and the discipline and everything、um, that, you know, comes with it. So, Uh, so yeah, so the, the show is really interesting to me. I, I, I didn't know what to expect, you know, as we got into the first episode and only two have been released so far. So、yeah. we just finished watching the second. Let's talk about the first episode real quick. What did you think overall? For an episode that has to work as an info dump as to why this character isn't the same character, I think it was really well done.、Um, a lot of people kind of get hung up on,、uh, well, this is all that exposition. You're, you're just setting the table or whatever.、Mm-hmm. I think if you're doing that well, it's just as good because it reinforms why you love the character.、Right. And I think they actually did it really well.、Um, so these Marvel shows are different from the Marvel movies in that they have longer, a longer period of time to un, unfurl their characters and their storylines and all that. Some people are, you know, are, are going to find that inherently a little bit. Harder of a bridge to cross.、Mm-hmm. But one thing I like is even with these new Marvel shows like WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier, even if it feels like some episodes are sort of like, I don't know, stepping around trying to find their way, this, this one's like, we know we have a mission, show you a different Loki, explain the universe, 
um, explain who these people are he's working with and what the stakes are. But they're doing it in a way that I think still makes it kind of evocative and makes it mm. interesting because it's a beautiful to look at show. The lighting. It, it is. It reminds me of Control, the, the PlayStation 4 game oh, that I set you up with. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely something interesting with the lighting and the, the overall vibe. And it, you, you can't, what's interesting about this whole thing is about time, mm-hmm. right? And going back and forth in time. You, you cannot place the era of the cinematography. You know how you can look at movies from the 80s and you're like, this is from the 80s. Then you look at movies from the 90s and you're like, this is from the 90s. The aughts and, you know, the tens and everything have had their own looks too. Yeah. You can't really tell with this. It's really pretty. It's, it's, it's a little bit less overlit than what people tend to complain about with, uh, with a lot of comic book properties. Um, it, it really kind of lets the dark colors live and the shadows live a little bit more. And it is distinctly mid-century. Mm. <laughs> like mid 20th century it, it feels like you know it, that's the production design of it it's it's a mix between like mid-century kind of post-war and um like sci-fi magazine in the 1980s yeah it does have that that's that especially that last bit i think you really hit it yeah um for me yeah when they show you the tva outside of the like the boring office the brutalist office building that they work in when they actually show you what the background looks like it looks like an old school like you would see that painted on the side of a van yeah. or something it's yeah awesome. totally it is really awesome um okay what else would you call out about the first episode about the first episode i would say that um i, I know that maybe your mileage is a little bit different on this but I really am enjoying the sort of straight man energy that uh, that Owen Wilson brings, especially when he's in a room with Tom Hiddleston. Like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's going to go places because if you think about everybody in the TVA, the Time Variance Authority, uh-huh. what is it that we know about them? They're basically created almost to be there. They don't have lives outside of working there. Mm-hmm. Like that guy, he's he's like, you're going to kill me with a what? A fish? What is the fish? And so when you think about that, like this hapless detective everyman who's been on, on episode two, which we'll get into, is being interrogated about why do you do this? Why do you care about this? What is the deal with, like, why are you so dedicated to this? Yeah. And he's like, I don't question it. I just believe it. It needs to, now that we're through two episodes, though, it needs to pick up the pace a little bit because here's what I'm struggling with. Hmm. So you've got Owen Wilson and he is like an incredible incredibly boring bureaucrat right (laughs) and like the most bureaucratic agency of all time which is the time variance authority which like controls essentially the one true timeline and sort of does this cop stuff for anybody who like deviates from their fate or like intended destiny and they like kind of reset the timeline and redo it so that it goes a certain way yeah they go full bureaucracy on them and write them out of existence right and so what is happening in this show is that Loki kind of steps out of line, right? Out of timeline. Yeah. And hey. they, 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 they go and they get him. And they actually want him to hunt himself in another timeline. Right. So there is another, um, you know, there's been a variance. There's split in the timeline. There's a Loki 
in another multiverse that is doing some bad shit. And yeah. they bring this Loki in to help capture him because they cannot get a hold of this guy. Like, he's jumping and skipping around time and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So Owen Wilson's character is this, like, bureaucrat, this huge bureaucrat. And he, like, is coming in and saying, well, I have this idea to, like, bring this nicer Loki to help us capture the evil Loki, right? right. So he's he's being kind of and he and, and and the authority looks at him as like a renegade and looks at him as like, wow, this is a very controversial idea, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And that was fine for the first and the second episode. If they don't do something truly interesting in the next one, I'm gonna start to get a little bored with this guy. Mm. Because here's what they've done. While all of this is happening, they've taken away Loki's ability to use any of his magic. Mm -hmm. So he is stuck in this, like, terrible, sad office, (laughs) like, doing this boring detective work on himself for no reason, by the way. He's, like, been kind of neutered and he's sort of, like, doing whatever is asked of him for no reason other than the fact that he has no power, like, to use to get out of the situation. Because he's scheming. Right. So somewhat, like we don't know really what's going on, right? And so, so like if they don't really bring the stakes up a bit more by including the magic that makes him so fun. I mean, he's fun without it, but like it's gonna get boring if you're gonna just stick me in a government office. Well, so that's like not I've great. been to the DMV. This is not. I like. I'm not gonna spend my time. My like I wish limited the DMV time. This good. <laughs> I, well, I know, but I'm not gonna spend my limited time on the couch, like basically experiencing that over again with a couple of of famous faces sure um well i mean i think that they did let's get right into episode two because what's the what's the thing that we find out um loki has been sitting around because he can't use any powers he can't do anything about it um he can't uh you know he can't escape they keep kind of and and, but he kind of still manages these little victories of like escapes for a few minutes and Mm -hmm. then watches the watches the entirety of the timeline after he disappears from it and sees his mom die and all that stuff but then what happens is is in episode two, he finds out he's like one of 128 other variant Lokis. It's like, these guys go variant all the time. And he's like, what, I'm not even special? Yeah. And so, and he keeps trying to like move all the conversations around to his goals, like about meeting the timekeepers, the three lizard, space lizards who run time. <laughs> this is a good show, guys. <laughs> we're, not, we're not doing injustice, but yes, there are three big lizards that control all our destinies. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't seen them yet, but yeah. someday. Uh, but, but so yeah, that's the thing. He, he's and then Owen Wilson is me like, oh, what's your plan there? You're gonna get in front of them, hustle them, and then on your way? No, I don't think so. Yeah. So it, it's a fun, it's a fun back and forth where he starts at his lowest point, and and I like watching him squirm. And then spoilers, in uh, the end of episode two, he sees a he sees an opportunity. Offered by a sexy lady Loki, mm-hmm. the actual variant he's been sent to find, and uh, he takes it, and he jumps right out. And that's how the episode ends. So we don't know what's going on, and he kind of wasn't going to take the opportunity, but then they all started chasing him, Owen Wilson and everybody else, and they don't give him the benefit of the doubt, so he's like, you know what, F it, I'm going to jump through the door and see what's on the other side, right? Um, plus, it's he's trying to figure out what the hell... He's yeah. doing right. like right as uh, what's my deal? Yeah, what's my deal in this multiverse <laughs> in which I am like a complete asshole? So, um, so that's kind of it. That's like what's happened so far, but it's very encouraging. Yeah, I think it's it's <laughs> one thing too that we have to talk about the onboarding video that they made for him <laughs> in the first episode when he gets captured and they like. 
kind of beam him up or down wherever they're at um, into this this government organization office space. He has to go through this very long winding line. No one's in it, but he still has to go through <laughs> it. And they show him this like hilarious onboarding video about what the Time Variance Authority is and through this sort of like animated cartoon, yeah. exaggerated like one minute video you get to learn about essentially what the show is about. And so yeah. I thought that was normally things like that are a bit too on the nose for me, but I thought it was like so well done. Yeah. It's, it's really fun. And uh, it's, whose voice is that? Cause it sounded like Amy Poehler a little bit this time. Did it? Yeah. No, I, I, I haven't looked up any of the details about it, was, it. I don't know. It was very like a, it was like a very Rosie from the Jetsons kind of voice. I couldn't, <laughs> I don't think I like really assigned it to any celebrity, but maybe, yeah, we'll have to look that up. Yeah, we'll look it up. But yeah, it's it's a good show. It's very promising. I like that it's a little bit more, I like that it's a little bit more, Not it's not slower than, you know, than the other shows, but it's definitely a little bit more confident in just letting a scene play out. Yeah. And like seeing how Loki's going to react to something. It's doing its own thing. It is not trying to be an offshoot of a voice, a tone that Marvel has set already and like continuing with that. It's sort of doing its own thing. It's kind of undercutting the standard Marvel tone yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it is, which is really cool. Um, but I don't think could be pulled off by a lot of other actors, to be honest with you. Like I think Tom Hiddleston is really like the the kind of actor that you can do a bunch of stuff with and it he will make it work. Right. It will just work around him, you know? Yeah. Um, Tom, Tom Hiddleston is great. Um, he's, he's a gem. He's in uh, Kong Skull Island with Brie Larson, who plays mm-hmm. Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. And honestly, their characters are written awfully bad. Yeah. Bad. But they're they're so nice and fun to watch. You're like, okay, I, I'll I can, allow it. I'll, I'll deal with this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's definitely moments like that for me too um, in, in Marvel in the Marvel universe. Um, okay, so that's a little bit about Loki. Do we want to talk about The Last Dance now? Yes. So, um, you know, I was a huge Bulls fan when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Like, huge. I wasn't a bigger fan of anything else. In the 90s. In the old. 90s. Yes, we are. But I was not, I will say, I was not a fair weather fan. So, like, I loved them before they were winning. I loved them, like, there's just something about Chicago, the energy of Chicago. Like, I didn't live in the States at the time, and I just thought Chicago was this, like, incredible, proud, like, place, you know? And I was very attracted to it. And so the Bulls, being from there and, like, the, the, the kind of way that they played the game, the challenges they had, like, before they started to become this huge, you know, dynasty, all of that was very attractive to me. And then, of course, like, as, you know, Jordan, Pippen, like, all of them kind of formed, I really started to love basketball and the and I played basketball in high right. school, too. So, loved it, was obsessed with, with them and everything they did, you know, ups and downs throughout the 90s. Um, it was a very emotional time for me. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I mean, there were... There were games after which I would just be bawling because yeah. the Bulls were just so ama- amazing. And there, there were rivalries that were to me, like, they produced such a genuine feeling of competition and hate in my body. And all I was <laughs> doing was, like, sitting on the couch and watching it because I would played games like that, too. And right. had similar rivalries and, like, had felt those emotions and knew, like... 
that there's nothing deeper than that, right? So yeah. anyway, I loved, loved, loved the Bulls. I actually stopped watching basketball, which is something I'm trying to, like through my friends who are big fans of, of, of the sport today, I'm trying to get back into it, but it's just been very difficult. And I learned a lot actually from several of our friends, but especially recently from my friend Brent, who was explaining to me um, how the like how the game has changed and what type of players excel in basketball today and how it's a completely different game than right. what it was in the 90s. And I was just sort of fascinated and saddened at the same time with his analysis. It was really good and it was a great like shortcut. Yeah. Um, we'll have to have him on the show sometime uh, oh, to sure. talk about this. But uh, but yeah, so I was really excited when this came out. You know, we watched it the day after it dropped, I think. Yeah, um, I think we like went through a complicated series of steps to like get ESPN. <laughs> yeah, and- <laughs> it was terrible. Uh, like yet another thing to stream, but we did it. We watched it all in a row, like it was a marathon. Oh yeah, it didn't stop. Yeah. Watched it start to finish. So tell me about your experience. Like, why did you want to watch it? Was it just because you knew I would be obsessed with wanting to watch it? Did you have a history with to the a, NBA back to in the 90s? a much lesser degree? Yeah. I mean, I loved basketball when I was a kid, but I didn't really follow it all that much. I was more, I followed football more. Mm-hmm. Um, just basically because of where I grew up. That's, you know, basketball was great. Everybody loved basketball. Everybody loved Michael Jordan. Everybody loved the Bulls. Um, but, you know, I started watching TV when I was cognizant enough to know that I was doing such a thing. <laughs> and I would see Michael Jordan play. And even yeah. as a kid, not knowing crap about basketball, yeah. except for like my PE classes or whatever, I'd be like, that guy's amazing. Yeah. And so I always had a, a real appreciation. And, and then when I did pay more attention, when you couldn't help but pay attention, when the Rodmans and the Pippins and, and Jordan and, and all those guys were, were really taking off and, and owning those championships, that's so, so that's like still a moment in my mind. I, I would watch their games here and there. Yeah. But it, I, wasn't, I wasn't a huge basketball fan. I just, my friends were, so we would yeah. hang out and watch games and whatever. But I was excited because that is the cultural touchstone that's still stuck in my mind. Yeah. And getting to know and learn more about that because also Michael Jordan's public persona was impenetrable. Mm-hmm. He was, you know, he was the guy on the poster. He yeah. was not a person beyond that for the most part, except for yeah. when you saw him on the court. And then he was like really a person. Was so was his sort of was it as big in Texas to be like Obsessed with Michael Jordan because Texas had amazing teams in the 90s and you had the Rockets, the Spurs were really good. You know, Rodman played for the Spurs yeah. for a bit. So th- was that not as big of a deal in Texas? No, for sure it was. I mean, I don't think that Rodman ever had quite the same ubiquity that Jordan did because he was like a living god. You know, everybody. I had that. See, I had that moment because so I will say like Jordan was not my favorite Bulls player, like mm-hmm. who coach was. I loved him. I just thought, like, look at this, like, completely zen-like dude who becomes whatever the game needs him to become. And That's you, amazing. it also didn't feel like when you watched him play, like he was putting any effort into it. Who coach? Yeah, like he was tired. He'd just gotten back from running a bunch of errands. He probably, like, built something in his backyard, and then he played that game. He played it well. But the guy was just so chill, and he looked so relaxed. You know, like, it never felt... One, it didn't feel like he had to put a ton of effort into games to be good. But right. two, it also felt like because he was sort of overshadowed by these like bigger mythical characters on his team that they never really like tapped into his full potential. He's like the Hawkeye of his adventures. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> and he's, he's really, really, really good. Anyway, but Jordan was like this huge thing. Although when Rodman came in, there was like a mania. I mean, the, the yeah. Rodman mania was like, 
close to the level of what Jordan had for I years. I mean, I loved Rodman. I, I went and saw uh, Double Team starring him and John Claude Van Damme in the theater. Oh, my All right. God. So. <laughs> Are you sure you don't want me to edit that out of the podcast after? It's all right. I've already paid my penance. So I don't need horrible. to. <laughs> oh, my God. But you mentioned something about um, just why you reacted to, like, your co-coach. Because the thing for you is you weren't, and you've said this before, it's not like you were just a huge Jordan fan. You were a Bulls fan. Oh, I loved every single yeah. one of them. And so what's yeah. interesting about that is you mentioning the style of play being the thing that drew you to Tony Kukoc as your favorite player. And then when you watch this documentary, you do actually get a, an episode that features a lot of Tony Kukoc. Yeah. And, you know, explaining the way that they met on the court as adversaries. Mm-hmm. And Well, they were, yeah, they were introduced that way because mm-hmm. of freaking Jerry Krause. Because, yeah, yeah Krause... Krause is a... What a douche be. Oh, my God. And we hated him back in the day. Everybody right. hated him. So, that I, like, I know this is something I said to you earlier where I was like, I don't think this documentary got just how much he was hated. And you you said that you thought that it came through. Oh, yeah. No, I hated Jerry Krause. <laughs> I hated Jerry Krause almost as much as I hated the Knicks. And that's insane <laughs> a lot. So. You know what's interesting about this documentary? Because I think that there would be a version of this that would be start to finish from the early days to the to the now. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think that that approach would kind of suck. I like the way it cross cuts between yeah. um, the 97 series back to him getting started in college, back to like the dream team, back to, you know, just it goes back and forth. Whatever is reinforcing what he was dealing with or what we're supposed to be looking at. It's a bit too much, though. They could have they could have just pared it back a little bit. Hmm. Just a little bit. A little bit more linear? Yeah, or just, like, stay in the same time, a couple of time frames for that episode, right? Hmm. And, like, continue the thought. I mean, in, in a way, it's brilliant because it's designed to be watched all at once, right? Because there's yeah. no way that you want to watch this, like, one episode by episode. I mean, you could... But I just think you get a lot more out of it. Like, a lot of the threads get tied up, you know, in ep- from episode one to episode four right. with nothing in the middle. So it's it's a tough it's a tough thing to do to to an audience. But I, li- I like that it keeps me kind of twisting a little bit. I think it's yeah. really well done because, you know, documentaries these days that are in multi-part stories also do the whole uh, serial podcast slash just mm-hmm. dramatic TV thing where it's like, but not everything was great on the horizon. And you're like, oh, God, now I got to know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, was, it was really good. Are you, like, are there bits and pieces of the, like, lore that are being filled out for you that you maybe missed as you were growing up? Uh, oh, yeah, I mean, that, that happened on the first view through. Because, again, you know, we're watching this again. And I, I am also picking up on stuff that maybe I didn't catch mm-hmm. all the way beforehand. But the thing that I always still come back to is that I really appreciate how uh, much it centers on his determination and mm-hmm. how that's not inherently a totally positive thing. Yeah. You know, Um Seeing, seeing that, seeing like what an absolute overlord mm-hmm. he was in the game is, is really interesting to me because you get to see that balance against like the people who could play it, play, play with that style versus the people who couldn't versus the people who just maybe, you know, didn't op- operate on that style, but were complimentary and play to him. Mm-hmm. And so that would affect the relationships on the team. Yeah. Just getting to see all that. And then, you know, just seeing that kind of determination and competitiveness and but still like not just making it a hagiography of like isn't this guy amazing it's like yeah. 
this guy's kind of an asshole. Yeah. There's a cost to all of this, right? right. Um, that, that is paid by everyone around him and himself. Yeah. Um, I love that you said that too, because that, that really is the central theme, I think, of this documentary. The other thing I really love and my favorite parts of it are when they focus on Phil Jackson, because yeah. I think he is like one of the most brilliant leaders of all time, right? Not just coach, leaders. Like he, to me, and they talk a lot about it. Like he, he was bringing in all sorts of philosophies to help his players holistically. He was right. bringing in, you know, teachings from Buddhism. He was bringing in stuff that he was learning about Native American history. You know, yeah. he was, he just was this kind of coach that wanted them to be more than players on the court. You exactly. Know? He wanted them to be people that were bringing something to a game that needed to change and were changing it with the way that they played. But, behind what they played was who they were, right? The, the triangle system. That yeah. wasn't his, but he did run it. Yeah. Uh, but but it was great. And he, you know, like the fact that he, even before he implemented that with like the, you know, the, whoever the head coach was that he was when he was assistant, like he, he knew that Michael needed to learn to be a team player. Right. Right. Because it would have been really easy for people for any coach in that situation to just like focus on Michael, make everybody else a supportive player and like keep going. And that's what had made them so successful thus far. But Phil yeah. Jackson knew that that's not how it should be done. And you see it in the way that he um, kind of like taught Michael these lessons. He didn't force him in, into playing as a different player. He showed him the light. Yeah. And when they won, because Michael had grown and like had said, okay, I'm going to like, I think it's like he passes the ball a bunch of times to Paxton in that one game. God, that's such a cool they scene. Went, right? And, yeah. and he's like, wow, I trusted my player. Like four times he came through and we won. Um, and it was so much easier to win because everybody thought Michael was going to take, Michael Jordan was going to take those last, you know, like yeah. the game winning shots and he didn't. Um, and he learned from that and he grew as a player to the point where he was like, you know, when the, when the, um, like the business management office or whatever was threatening that this was going to be Phil Jackson's last year. Jordan was like, well, then I won't come back because I refuse right. to play for anybody but Phil Jackson, which I just think is so gorgeous. It's a, it's a baller move. Yeah. And I mean, think about the type of leader you have to be to to get that from a player who could have just said, fuck you, when you tried to tell him, hey, you're not going to be the star here. Yeah. Like, you you are the leader of the team, but you're not the star. Like, these players need to, you need to uplift them, you know? That, that determination that that he had also with a stubbornness and, and, you know, you see how much of a, you know, how protective he was of his partnerships and, and, and his team, no matter what mm-hmm. his team was, if his team was Nike versus Reebok, mm-hmm. you know, cause he's like, I'm not going to wear Reebok on the, on the court. It's not yeah. going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm Nike. That's, that's what I am. And so, uh, when you see that thing where he, he just states plainly, like if Phil Jackson leaves, I'm done. Yeah. And then, Jerry Krause continues to just be like, oh, that's the way it is? All right, well, that's your choice. Yeah, not and ours. Yeah, that's your choice. Yeah. And, you know, he's just like, no, I, I told you, you know, I told you, you don't keep him around, I'm gone. Okay, well, he's gone. Well, then I'm gone. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it, it's beautiful. There, there's really, there's really nothing like it when you have teams that work that way together that are that loyal to each other where you don't have these like kind of petty frictions and things like that and you know phil jackson is just i think the type of leader who brings the best 
out of his players. Like, he knew yeah. how to handle everybody. He knew how to manage Jordan's ego. Right. He knew what to do about Dennis and his rebellion issues, right. but, like, channel them into the game and give him the space that he needed. I mean, this is... This is an amazing... Like, I think he... And I need to read his book, but I think he is an amazing example of what good le- leadership looks like. Yeah. And speaking of, I always tell people, and we'll talk, we'll get into this in, in future episodes, but just as sort of like a little trailer, this is one of the reasons why I love Battlestar Galactica. Because oh, when it comes to leadership, and, and people always ask me, they're like, well, what's like your favorite leadership book? And I'm like, actually, skip all of them. <laughs> Watch Battlestar Galactica. And every time one of the leaders on that show makes a decision, freaking journal about it. Because, oh my God, yeah. you learn so much from from the decisions they make on that show. Yeah, and I'm I'm gonna talk a little bit more about that when when we talk grab bag stuff too. But that's that's the thing is uh is making a decision, mm-hmm. committing to a decision, and dealing with the fallout of a decision. Yeah, and that's something that like you know is kind of elated over with a lot of pop culture or stuff like that. But I like I like it when people sit with that kind of stuff and weigh the cost and the benefit mm-hmm. towards the decision. And then also deal with the fallout. Yeah. Like, I love to see that. And that's one of the reasons that I think seeing this show about, you know, these mythic figures um, is so amazing. Because you get, you have to watch, like, the way that Pippin dealt with his, Mm -hmm. his contract issue and all of that. And, and I I just love that. And and seeing, I would read, I would read a book by Phil Jackson. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, it's such a good show. I can't wait to finish watching it. We've only gotten through about five episodes, but we'll we'll, we'll kind of reflect back on it in the next podcast. It's an all timer. It. It's a great yeah. It's, it's a all-timer. great one. It's a yeah. it's a great one. I think that, and I think you're spot on about like that's what's fascinating about a lot of these types of shows. Actually, to me, that's a lot of what's fascinating about Marvel too. I mean, you know, there's a lot of like grown ups our age. Sometimes I'll be like, y'all, you need to watch this Marvel show, and they're like, I'm not really into Marvel. I'm a grown up. <laughs> comics, comics, comics. And then they'll be like, um, I studied philosophy. I'm like, here's what I'm like. What do you think this is? Or they're like. I, like, really love studying religions. I'm like, what do you think this is based <laughs> off of? Like, then you should be reading this. Like, this talks about, right. oh, my gosh. So it's like, so I think it, it's going to be interesting to get into some of those discussions. Um, no, for sure. Too. Oh, yes. the last thing I want to say about um, The Last Dance mm. is just, seriously, if you have any sense of cultural awareness that dates back prior to, like, the year 2000... <laughs> Seeing all of this archival footage of these people in their prime and before and after is, it's like a time machine. Yeah. It's incredible. I, I can't, I, this is, so you were asking me about when, when I was that age and when I was seeing all this going on. This is like a window back into that period of time when yeah. I would see TV footage of these people playing the game and also off the court. And it is just really something else to be able to see. I think, I love that you said this to me once. I feel like we were on a date or something very early in our relationship when we were just dating and we were both talking about how much we loved the 90s and you said that you think the 90s are the last authentic decade. And I, I stand by always it. Stuck, <laughs> always stuck with me because you were such a 90s guy. OMG. Yes. You were like the 90s guy I know. Um, okay, 90s guys, so <laughs> should we chat about, about grab bag stuff? Yeah, I think so. You want to jump in first? Yeah, okay. So, 
Hollow Knight is an incredible game. I just, I fell in love with this game. Did you play it before the pandemic? Or was no, this I a played purely it in, pandemic yeah, thing? purely pandemic situation. Because um, I can't tell anymore. I know. <laughs> what is time? Who's to say? Um, yeah, but it was all during the pandemic. It is, um, I played it on the Switch, but I know it's available on different platforms. I just love the little Switch controller. It works really well for my tiny little hands. Um, <laughs> she does have small hands. <laughs> the, the UX is way better. Um, so I played it a ton, and it's it's a platformer. Um, which do you want to define for the audience who may not know video um, games? So what that means usually side scrolling, which means you know flows from left to right or right to left or some determination of those. Mm-hmm. Um, up and down can also be included. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> usually it, it, in, it involves gameplay of, you know, some combat, either projectiles or handheld weapons, um, usually drawn style animation, sometimes 3D rendering, but a lot of times drawn. And you have to jump from, you know, there's, there's timing and there's also placement. You have to jump from platform to platform while, like, defending yourself against different kinds of enemies. She's a tricksy game type, yeah. That platforming is it was always my favorite type growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, this would also be defined as what is called a Metroidvania. I was just gonna say that I'm doing my thunder because you finished <laughs> defining that now. Define Metroidvania. Go. Okay. Which so, is the second type of genre we would attribute this game to? Yes. Um, which is a portmanteau of the Metroid series and the Castlevania series, um, which involve a lot of exploring and fighting and also. Uh, retreating and finding your way into new areas by revisiting old areas mm. and finding new power-ups. Some life lessons embedded in there. Which I'm always surprised when you like these games because if there's one thing I know about you is that you hate to turn around for any reason. Ever. I hate going backwards. It is a pet peeve. I friggin' hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> yeah, but these games are great and, and um, Metroid and Castlevania for folks who are not too familiar with uh, video games were just like defining games of their time the metroid series is it's like one of the best maybe my favorite yeah yeah just just amazing stuff so so it's a modern um one of those uh it came out pretty recently a very tiny studio called team cherry made this it's like two people gorgeous game yeah it's like two or three people which is why it's taking them a bazillion years to come out with the sequel where the game didn't come out during the pandemic it's a game that came out way before i just started playing it during the pandemic I hated this game the first, you know, maybe hour of playing it. You know, you had recommended it to me. Our friend Brian had recommended it to me. Actually, Brian recommended it to me. Oh, really? Okay. And, and I played it for about 10 minutes, and I was like, uh, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I Yeah, I hated it. It was frustrating to me because I thought it was being cheap with some of the puzzles and, like, the fact that you're... I hate when you have to build your powers throughout the game and it takes you like (laughs) playing 90% of the game to be at full power because you only have 10% of the game to enjoy, you know, all of this stuff. So I thought that's what this game was going to do. It turned out it wasn't. It was a bit of a slow burn. It started well. My comment earlier about some of the cheap things it was doing was like, it's, you know, those really super annoying, like there's only these two walls are covered with like thorns and barbs. There's only one spot on each side that is thornless and you have to jump onto it precisely or you'll die, right? Mm-hmm. I hate that shit. Like, give me a little bit more space. It's early in the game. Let me, like, develop as a player and then throw <laughs> it my way, right? I was getting really frustrated. But it 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 picked up. It was incredible. It just became this 
this huge thing. Like, I was thinking about it constantly. Became the vibe of your life. It was the vibe of my life. The soundtrack was amazing. The gameplay was stellar. The way in which you ended up, like, leveling up as a player was was fabulous. Mm -hmm. And the things that are happening in the game, sort of like the mood of this town that you're in, the the design in it was just stunning. Like, like I just the hadn't, of the game? hadn't seen it. So there's many settings in the game, but you essentially start out in this little town called Dirtmouth, and it's essentially been abandoned. Um, some major event has happened there, and everyone has sort of retreated below mm-hmm. underground. Um, but it's like a bug land. You're a bug. Everything's a bug kind of deal. <laughs> um, like there's a lot of bug situations going on in here. Um, so there's some mysteries. There's some things that are going on. You're trying to figure it out. You need to save the land as you do in most games. Right. Um, and who you are isn't entirely clear yet either. Um, but you're just this like adorable, earnest little dude who's going through with a sword, which is called a nail in the game. Um, and you're, you, you gain powers and abilities throughout and you like defeat characters, solve puzzles. There's a lot of like searching in this game and exploring and, um, it's incredibly expansive and yeah, ultimately you do get to fight, uh, some major baddies, big um, giant bugs, big giant, a big giant bug, but you have to fight big bugs to get to unlock this. Anyway, it's lovely. I just, I, it's, it's one of those things that does such a successful job of world building and like history building and like lore building, you know, mythology building that it just stays with you for a really long time. And I found even after I um, finished it the first time, and actually I shouldn't say that I was so heartbroken when I was at like 90% in this game. The only thing I had left was to like beat the big boss. I didn't do it. I was like, I'm not going to, no, I'm not, I don't want it to end. I'm just going to like go back and explore everything. Just make sure I found stuff and maybe like redo some battles and things like that because I was so obsessed with it. But it's because it just creates this world and it becomes like, it's just, it it consumes you. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes a part of your own history in this weird way. And like you start, you go to the grocery store and all of a sudden (laughs) you're like navigating dirt mouth or green, uh, green path and all these other levels. And it's just. For, you know, it lingers. So for a while, your, your kind of the minutia of your day have this like element of fantasticness to them because you're sort of mentally and emotionally still in the game after you leave it for a couple hours. So I, I think you know that feeling that impact that it had that sort of like lasting impact was really lovely for me. And to have that during the pandemic was really special given that, you know, we didn't have much else. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I still see you playing it all the time. And if you ever wanted to know, how committed uh, this one can be about a game. Just ask her how many Korra poofs she's picked up. <laughs> From Breath of the Wild. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I'm i not ashamed of the number of hours I've played that game. It's a lot. How much, how much was it? Well, the counter didn't go up. You stopped the counter. I did, yeah. It said <laughs> It just said... 999 plus hours, and then it never went up from there. Wow. So. <laughs> well, good job. No shame. I don't have kids. It's fine. It's just it's just us over here. <laughs> like, I'll do it. Well, um, I, yeah. I, I always like it when you get super into a game because then it'll change the vibe of the house because you'll you'll find little spots where you're comfortable leaving it on, and then that's just the soundtrack of the house for I a know, while. I love doing that. That was you with I'm Wind Waker. You love it. That was you with uh, when I introduced you to Ocarina of Time. And uh, and that became like that just became the vibe of the house. I remember Wind Waker yeah. specifically became the vibe of the house for an entire summer. Yeah, yeah. I can't just casually play games. Like yeah. I get really committed. 
like there of course there's some games you can do that way like fighting games and stuff like that but when you're really committed to like a fully fledged you know single sort of player story experience. yeah it's important to do it i get it yeah yeah it's gorgeous okay tell me about your game <clears throat> okay so uh like few people uh i missed out on the mass effect thing when it was happening when it came out, I think Mass Effect 1 came out in, like, 2007. Mm, a couple of years later, maybe, like, 2010, I tried to... I bought used copies of the first two games, thinking, like, eh, everybody talks about these, I'll give these a try. Yeah. I tried the first one for about 10 minutes or so, and just hated it. Really? Hated Why? it. Why? Why'd you hate it? I did not like the gameplay. Uh, I just thought it, you know, it was already showing its age at a, at a certain point. I was, so, long story short, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and cut right to the chase on this one. Yeah. I was wrong. <laughs> I, I admit I was wrong. <laughs> I, a good skill. I will never let anybody else be wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Mass Effect, uh, Mass Effect just released all three of the original games into a new package called Mass Effect Legendary Edition, which has been upscaled, remastered, reworked um, for, you know, PlayStation 4 and maybe Xbox, I don't know. I don't, I don't play that. Um, so the Legendary Edition is all three games. And so I... All my friends uh, that I talk to are obsessed with it. We'll talk about it. Talk about the choices they made, the mm. things they did, the conversations they had, the ways that they uh, went back and, and tried to replay things. Because the single... This is one of the first times where a game series mm -hmm. takes choices that you make in the first game. Like when you're setting up as a character? Like well, that, but also things you do. Like if you uh, encounter a terrorist situation on an asteroid where aliens have taken control of it and they're going to ram it into a planet, the choice you make in that game affects things that happen in the third game. Oh, so you're not going to play the game and have the exact same no. storyline that I would. Maybe. No, I'll have a completely different storyline than you Unless would. we make the same decisions hey that's kind of like a fun date thing to do actually is like to play the games and then like check with each other yeah. on what decisions were made and see like why you made a decision if it was different than mine yeah. than i did well one of the things that's been happening to me lately God, is... that would be so revealing i know like, what do couples who don't play video games do <laughs> like how do they get to like truly know each other i don't even know did you do the crossword did you... <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't know 13 don't across know. that's not what i put at all i don't know i don't know but so all my friends have been reaching out to me because I said, uh, guys, I'm excited to give this a shot. Yeah. I was, I, I was, you know, I was kind of a dick about the gameplay and all that back in the day. Uh, but I, I'm excited because all of you were, have been so into this. So I got into it and then I will get little questions like, wait, where are you? Mm -hmm. Hold on. What happened with the crew on that mission? Did, what did, what did you do about this doctor fe fellow? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, well, I did this, this and that. And they'll be like, okay, that'll work out. It's or they'll so be fun. like, Oh, bro. Mm -mm. <laughs> I love that. We have we have a Slack channel at work that's like a gaming channel. Yeah. And, you know, I've been trying to convince a lot of my coworkers to play Hollow Knight since, <laughs> I, like, since I finished it. And they do the same thing. Like, one of my coworkers will, will message me and he's like out on paternity leave and he'll be like, hey, I'm just signing on here because I'm stuck in this car <laughs> and it's killing me because I know I need this, like, uh, shadow cloak, but I don't know where to find it. Oh yeah, right. And we'll like talk about it. He's like, all right, I gotta go. I gotta like take care of the baby <laughs> <laughs> and put her to bed, and then I'll like actually go back and play the game. And, and it's just so fun. I mean, it's just like such a yeah. It's so fun to be able to talk to people about the thing you're playing. Well, my friend Kevin, who I do a podcast with, 
uh, has been playing it, and he has a two-year-old and also another kid on the way. And so he'll explain, like, okay, it's 1 a.m., I'm going to use yeah. my hour to play Mass Effect. <laughs> and he's like, here's what I did. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's what I did too. Um, but the so the, the whole premise is that it's in the future. It's like in the year, I don't know, 26-something. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember. Details? Shmeetails. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, you're, you know, human humanity is a recent inductee into the larger universe in mm-hmm. which aliens are like, hey, welcome new kids, whatever. And we're trying to get taken seriously mm. you know we're like setting up internet you know intergalactic trade and like trying to cut alliance deals and all this stuff and and most of the the, the three races that make up the council are like oh, that's nice mm. and so then all of a sudden so they you know a lot of things happen like the council of, of, of all these different the, the alliance council um has this arm of people who can go and do the things and investigate the things that they can't take political action on Mm -hmm. called specters and your character male or female or whatever background you give them so it's like i'm uh the female character which i've heard is the only one with any good voice acting Mm. um i set mine to be a war hero uh with a specific type of background and i'm the first person who ever become a part of this organization of specters and the first human, you mean? The first humans. The humans have it. not been allowed to do it because we're considered. We're not even on the council. We we can't even like. We, we're not even involved in galactic government. What do they? Why do they think we're massive losers? Or yeah. Like, what's the de- why are we massive losers? Do we they're do just, fucked up shit, or is everybody just more advanced than us? No, they're they're like, oh, you just discovered the mass relays that are how everybody does, uh, inter, you know, inter intergalactic travel. Oh, welcome to the party. Oh, so we're primitive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, dang. Okay, cool, cool, cool. But how come you were allowed on it, though, then? Uh, because I chased down and learned about the corruption of one of the other members of the Spectre organization. And so I Some unraveled... Some other alien? Yeah, I unraveled this conspiracy that's taking place that, you know, that one of their operatives is heading mm-hmm. that eventually uncovers a ancient plot to destroy all life in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. And so across three games, you're dealing with the fallout of discovering that and what that means. But you're also dealing with the fallout of like, hey, let's say that you walked up to the government today and told them about a huge uh, cover-up and corruption scandal. What do you think they'd do about it? Nothing. Oh, man. So you're dealing with that stuff, too. Damn. Where you're like, hey, this enormous race of you know ancient beings is coming to destroy literally all of us. And they're like, that's not really gonna. What do you expect me to do with that? Oh god. Yeah. So it's it's really amazing, and and then the twists and turns that it takes, and the decisions that you make in in game one mm-hmm. about how you handle the mission, or how even a conversation you had with somebody who walked up to you at random, how how you handled that can play, can play out. Oh, but don't tell me it's like super RPG ish, and you're just like talking to a bunch of villagers. There's talking. There's also action. Is there action, though? Do you yeah. get cool weapons? Yes. Okay, cool. And you have to choose uh, if you're going to play as to be, like, totally a soldier, or if you're going to have special abilities like telekinesis and Ooh. things like that. What do you have? So I first played through as a soldier in Mass Effect 1, and then in Mass Effect 2, through a number of circumstances, I was able to choose to add some of the telekinetic telekinetic powers and stuff like that, so I can do all that stuff now. Nice. Yeah. What's your main, like, move? 
shockwave. So I yeah. throw a line, uh, a line of energy down, it explodes in a straight line across, and then I've powered it up so much now that it'll wipe out an entire line of enemy troops and throw them into the air. Oh, that's cool. It's very cool. Yeah. You'll have to show me that. Yeah. The music of that game sounds amazing when I hear it from the other room. The music, the voice acting, the design, and here's the thing, the world building and the actual storytelling mm-hmm. are some of the best that I've ever seen in a video game. Really? Yeah. And this is this game just came out? Yep. And it's the first one came out, you said, like a decade ago. Yeah, 2007. Oh, more than. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's the game that I'm Do you think about. I would like it, or would it be too much talking to villagers for me? You are going to talk to some villagers, but Ugh! you are Thanks. also going to... You're going to be really excited about the way that those interactions... Because you... Here's the other thing. Your personality affects gameplay. So if you're a paragon, you know, let's go get them, troops. Yeah. Then you're going to be able to guide people a certain way. If you're a complete renegade, you may have that same interaction, and instead of actually having a conversation with a guy, you might shoot him in the head. Uh, oh. Yep. And they've, like, created timelines for all of these things. Yes. So you think I like it? Yeah, I think you'd be into that. Okay. Maybe I'll give it a... Because maybe you, you don't want to talk to villagers, and you want to tell them, nobody cares about your kids that the aliens attacked. I don't want to hear this bullshit, so let's... I know that mean. <laughs> oh, my God. I would never say that. You don't have to, like, turn me into this massively evil villain with kids just because I don't want to sit there and talk to a bunch of villagers. Oh, my God. Anyway, I think I think you dig it. Well, I'm excited. Um, all right. I mean, I think that's kind of all the time we have for today. This was lovely. It was lovely it having was you lovely on, my, to- on my podcast. Thank you for being here. This is great. It was lovely to chat with you. Yeah. Thanks, Dee. I know. (laughs) Cool. Looking forward to next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone.